0: I was privileged to text Don Blackwell for a few seconds this afternoon and told him that some of you had been asking about him and he wanted to let you know that he really appreciates it and he covets the prayers that you're giving for him. And so I just thought I would relay that to you. He asked if I would. I told him that I would be happy to do that. And so he has got a test tomorrow that will determine whether one of his braces comes off. And it will be good for him if the brace can come off because that means rehab becomes a lot easier. And, excuse me, rehab is a lot easier without that brace and it will increase his chances of a quicker recovery. Uh, Though his chances of walking are very, very slim, it will increase his opportunity to get back out and about in the world again. Which I know all of us in the Brotherhood want to see Don Blackwell preaching and teaching God's Word again. He has done so much. And we benefit greatly by having him in the kingdom, working and laboring in the Lord's vineyard. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I find it amazing that the same tongue that utters, I love you, is also the one that is capable of saying, I hate you. The same tongue that has been used to speak amazing addresses such as the Gettysburg Address Martin Luther King Jr., when he spoke and said, I have a dream, is the same tongue that Hitler used, same type, but for hate. And it's the same type of instrument that has been used by terrorists to spew hatred. It's the same exact, there's nothing different, but death and life are found in the power of the tongue. And tonight, as we talk, we're continuing what we used this morning as the idea of don't going into the cookie jar before dinner. We're talking about not getting into things. We talked in the first hour this morning about us not having the proper authority and that we don't need to get into things if we don't have authority. We talked in the Bible class hour about not getting into things that hurt us. And there are so many things that our world wants to normalize and wants to tell us that are absolutely okay. And in fact, do what you want to do, but the Bible tells us we don't need to have a part with them. And tonight, I honestly believe this is the hardest one. And we talked about drugs and gambling and pornography. We talked about abusing authority. And yet tonight, we're talking about not getting into things that don't concern you or that don't concern me. This is, by my estimation, the hardest subject to preach on of the whole day. Why? because this is one of the easiest sins to commit and not realize that you are committing it. In fact, when you look up the definition for gossip, it is the casual or unconstrained conversational reports about other people, typically involving details that are not confirmed as being true. Its chiefly derogatory definition is a person who likes talking about other people's private lives. Underline the word private in your mind. Things that don't concern them. I don't know what's in your bank account. I don't have to. You don't know what's in mine. And I'm not going to ask. And I trust that you won't ask me. Not because I think it's sinful to know, but it's my bank account. It's your bank account. I don't need to know what's in it. It's not going to make my life better. It's not going to make my life worse. Though it might, depending on how wealthy you are. I don't know. But I don't have to know. It's a private matter. And when you discuss finances, you don't call me and ask what time I can be over at your house. Nor do I when I discuss them with my wife. Because it's private. Chiefly derogatory definition is one who talks about someone else's private life. And it's not right. According to a recent study, 80% of our conversations are spent discussing other people and their habits. The same study though. I want you to notice this. This is very interesting. The same study that says we spend 80% of our time talking about other people and their habits says that only 5% of gossip is malicious. So I got to thinking. That's got to be good news, right? Only 5% of 100? Maybe not. Let's look at some other things that only 5% or less. I looked up the leading causes of death. And I specifically targeted 6% or lower. Okay? Okay? I want you to keep these numbers in your mind. The number one leading cause of death that I found, 6% or lower, was chronic lower respiratory diseases, 5.9%. Number of deaths a year, 155,041. Second most leading cause at 5.6%, accidents, unintentional injuries of any kind. Unintentional injuries, 5.6%. Number of deaths a year, 146,571. Number three is strokes at 5.3%. Number of deaths a year, 140,323. And finally, Alzheimer's disease came in at 3.9%, and the number of deaths a year is 110,561. Is 5% really not that big of a deal? Tell that to the families of these individuals who died. Well, it's not that bad. I mean, it's only a hundred something thousand people. It's a big deal. Gossip is a big deal. And whether you only know that 5% of it is malicious or not, it hurts 100% of the people that you're talking about. Every time. And I've got to be very careful that 5% of our population is not a small number. You know that, right? 5% of our population. Let's... Look that down. For instance, our population is 325.7 million people as of 2017, okay? If I were to break that down into 5%, that's 16,285,000. If 16,285,000 people just died because of the words that I spoke, are we really going to act like that's not a big deal? If tomorrow you turn the news on and the leading report was not that 16,285,000 people had died, but that Burger King has upped their prices on burgers. What would you think? Something is wrong with this picture. 16 million people died and nobody's saying anything about it. If only 5% of gossip is malicious, I want to submit to you today that that is still a big number. And honestly, I would even admit and submit to you that that study is lying, whether intentionally or not. I don't think they're really being honest with themselves. I know growing up I heard the statement, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. Whoever said that is very, very foolish because words do hurt. If you're like I am, a human being, you remember some of the most hateful things that have ever been said about you to this day. I can tell you things that I've heard said about me From years ago, and I still remember them because they hurt, even when they weren't true. I've had things said about me that I knew weren't true, and they still bothered me, still hurt me. And I think you would agree if you've been in that situation, and I believe all of us have at one time or another, you would admit it hurts too. And even the strongest-willed person can be hurt by the things that we say about them to other people. You know what I've noticed about gossip before we get into the actual meat of the lesson? It never stays private. It always finds a way to get back to the person that you've been gossiping about. And if you and I would have just taken the time in that situation to go to them we could have saved a lot of heartache and a lot of trouble. But this is a really big problem. Yes, even in the Lord's church. (laughs) Haven't you ever heard or known of congregations that, while you're not divided because you hate this side of the room or vice versa, you ever known of a congregation that that's exactly what it was like? We don't talk to the people over on that side, because years ago, so-and-so did this, and she bothered this person, and so... We just don't talk to them anymore. Really? But you sing when we all get to heaven? You're not going to make it. This is a problem that does occur in the Lord's church. And so let's first look at gossip being condemned by God. Anytime I find something that I deem to be a problem, I need to know if God also thinks it's a problem. Because here's the deal. There are some things in life that I think are a big problem that aren't a big problem in the grand scheme of salvation. For instance, I am not an Alabama Crimson Tide fan. I know Tony is. He's not here. I get to talk bad about them, okay? I don't like the Tide. I'm just not a big fan of them. If you like them, I can still be your brother in Christ and we can still go to heaven, and that's wonderful. But don't invite me over to say Roll Tide because I'm not going to do it. My son is being taught by my in-laws who love Alabama to say Roll Tide And I have jokingly told everybody that I tell that to that I spank him every time he says it. Don't worry. We're going to get it out of him. You know, in the grand scheme of things, that doesn't matter whether you say Roll Tide or Go Vols or Vanderbilt, whoever you root for, that doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. And we can agree to disagree, and that's okay. But we cannot agree to disagree on matters of salvation, on matters that will separate my soul from God's place in heaven. Because if that will do that to me, if what we're talking about is going to separate my soul, we cannot disagree on it. We have to be in agreement because if we disagree, one of us is wrong and is damned to hell. And I I don't want you to miss that. If we cannot agree on matters of salvation, one of us is wrong in that conversation. I saw a picture years ago and even circulated again recently... Of a person looking at a six from one angle and from another angle the person thinks it's a nine. And the caption read, just because you think you're right doesn't mean someone else is wrong. But it's either a six or a nine. Just because I think it's a six doesn't make it a six. You ever heard the story of a mother who goes into the medicine cabinet late in the evening when her baby's crying and she genuinely believes she's grabbed the right medicine but gives the baby too much and the baby dies. You ever heard of a story like that? It didn't matter what she thought she was grabbing. What she ended up doing, despite her good intention and her belief, killed her child because it wasn't the right amount. It wasn't the right medicine. And whether I think one way or another, if God says something different, I need to change what I think. And yes, gossip is condemned. In fact, some people, though, will tell you it's not that big of a deal today. Here are some of the following statements that were made when I did a Google search for justifying gossip. I wanted to know what people said about this. Here's what was said. Everyone does it. At the risk of sounding like my parents, if everyone jumped off a bridge, would you do that? Right? You ever heard that same statement before? Everyone does it. Well, that's just the way a small town is. We just talk about everybody. I'm not telling you anything I wouldn't say to their face. I found it interesting, the very next two are make sure you don't tell anyone about this. And then after that one, keep this between you and me. But I'm not saying anything to you, I wouldn't say to their face. You just keep this between you and me though and make sure you don't tell anyone about this, okay? And then the final one was, I don't think they would mind me telling you this. Thinking isn't knowing. And I can think a lot of things and it doesn't make me right. But gossip is absolutely condemned. When I look in the Old Testament, I find the following scriptures that condemn gossip in some form or another. Now, you're not going to necessarily find the term gossip in the, in the Word of God as we talk about it. But the implication of is it is found. Just like you're not going to find, thou shalt not abuse drugs. Right? Right? You're not going to find that verse in the Old or New Testament. But by implication, like we studied in the worship hour and in the, we're in the Bible class hour this morning, we know by implication it is wrong to do those things in an abusive way. Because the Bible does say, I will not be brought under the power of any. And so these passages discuss gossip in some form or another. Whether it's by slandering, whether it's by talking, These are the passages in the Old Testament that condemn gossip. And then in the New Testament, it's talked about just as much. Evidently, when the New Covenant came into effect, and when the New Covenant was being even recorded, God still felt that gossip was an issue. I know from the Old Testament that ten commandments were given in the book of Exodus. And I know that in the New Testament, nine of them were carried over. If you remember which one wasn't, you get the gold star of the day. It's remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That wasn't carried over into the new law. It was left out. Why? God removed that from the law. But there are so many things from the Old Testament that did carry over into the new. It's still a sin to murder. It's still a sin to covet. It's still a sin to have another God before our God. And it is still a sin to gossip. The new covenant didn't change that. It is still a sin. This is just the tip of the iceberg. Let's go back to where we had our reading tonight. Go to the book of James. And I want you to notice how James discusses the tongue. James wants us to know by inspiration, by the way. So really it's not James that wants me to know any of this. It's God. God wants you to know and wants me to know as we begin to talk about teaching. He says, Don't let everybody be teachers. Don't have all these different... Not everybody's equipped to be a teacher, essentially, is what he's saying in verse 1. But he jumps down to verse 3 and he says, Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us and they turn the whole body. I once went with my mom and dad when we were on a vacation. We rode horses. And I was amazed at just how easy it was to make that horse go where I wanted it to go. And then I finally, for the first time, saw what that little piece of equipment looks like and was informed what it does. It clamps down on the horse's tongue in the direction you want to go, and it starts to steer the horse the way you want it to be steered. If I were to lay that beside the horse, you wouldn't even be able to tell that it was there. But that little piece of equipment makes you and me a master of a horse when we ride it. Then he goes on in the next verse to say, look at the ships. For our honeymoon we went on a cruise and it is absolutely incredible how big those, those ships are. I mean, you just couldn't believe it. Walking up and down the decks and trying, we, we tried to find where the burgers were, were being given one night and we, we looked for like 30 minutes before we finally found the place. It was that massive And yet, a very tiny rudder compared to the ship is used to steer it. Massive ship, small steering wheel. Take the steering wheel out of your car tonight and measure it against your car. So much smaller than the whole vehicle. And yet, that little piece of equipment helps you drive and to turn that vehicle any way you want to go. And James, through inspiration, is comparing these things to the tongue. If one were to take their tongue out of their body and put it up against their body as a measuring stick, so to speak, the body would widely and vastly dominate it. And yet the tongue dominates the body. That doesn't make sense. How can something so small cause so much damage Very simple. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. God understood this fact. I'm told in verse 5, the tongue is a little member, it boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. You guys remember the fire from Gatlinburg's, right? The fires that hit Gatlinburg recently. And all that started because a couple of kids were horsing around, if I remember hearing correctly. Small fire absolutely devastated areas of Gatlinburg. It was so small, though. But look at how it keeps going. You know how an avalanche gets started? Just a little bit of the snow starts to shift and move, and before you know it, it's all going. And that's exactly how the tongue devastates us. A little member boasts great things, and a little fire can destroy a whole forest. He says in verse 6, the tongue is a fire. It's a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire by hell for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. When I go home tonight, I know my lab mix will be waiting for me when I walk through the door. Whether everyone else is asleep or not, he'll be up. And if I tell him to go to bed, guess what he's going to go do? He's going to turn and go to where his bed is. Because I'm the master. He's my dog. I'm his master. And the Bible's saying that every type of beast of the field has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. There have been many amazing people in this world And they've been even public speakers who have used their tongue, used their ability to speak for good. And even they couldn't tame the tongue. Because the tongue is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we both bless God and our Father and we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing my brethren. These things don't need to be so. Why? Does a spring send forth fresh and bitter water at the same time? What about the idea of a fig tree, my brethren, bearing olives or a grapevine bearing figs? Thus no spring yields both salt and fresh water. The tongue is a destroyer. It is an absolute destroyer. Husbands, wives, you ever said something in a fight you wish you could take back? Right? And almost as soon as you say it, you're, you're in your mind going, No, 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 come back in. I don't want to say that. I don't want that to come out. In the heat of the moment, we just speak what's on our mind without thinking. No one can tame the tongue. I cannot spend my time, and you should not spend your time, speaking on things that we do not understand. I want you to notice for a minute 1 Peter 2 and verse 12. 1 Peter 2 and verse 12, where Peter's writing and he says, These, like natural brute beasts made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption. I don't want to be like them. I don't want to be like them. But with anything in life, I want us to have the idea of Examples of gossip as well. I'm sorry I forgot to put that slide up. I didn't realize it was there. But we'll have examples of gossip now. The Old Testament first, and then the New. I'm told according to a study, though, there's eight different types of gossip, okay? Like a lot of things, it's not as simple as just he's gossiping about this person. This is what this article suggested. Number one, you have slander. Slander is this idea of spreading rumors or lies about a person to cause damage purposely. Then you have dishing, which is, as we might have known the term, dish in the dirt. It means literally to share the juicy info you've learned about somebody. Tell me what you heard about so-and-so's situation. Maybe the intent isn't directly to cause damage, but by keeping the gossip alive, it continues to spread and does cause damage. Then you have these rumors you hear something it's not good it's also not confirmed as true but you act like it's true anyway and you talk about it Then I have backbiting it's a flavor of gossip that involves speaking spiteful or slanderous words about another who is not present and can do nothing in their defense It's secretive and the Bible actually mentions it by name Proverbs 25:23 then there's a not really joking jokes. Have you ever taken some part of truth and turned it into a joke about someone that makes other people question their character? Have you ever known of someone that would do that? This article gave an example. Maybe my husband will get off the couch today long enough to blah, blah. Haha, I just told a funny joke. Did you? Or were you taking the opportunity... And husbands, you can do this to your wives too. So don't don't just think I'm harping on the ladies. But in that situation, are we joking or are we taking an opportunity to say something about our spouse in a negative light, but we're going to disguise it as a joke so it doesn't really hit as hard as we don't want it to hit, right? We want it to be softened. Then there's planting seeds. For example, isn't it weird how he keeps staring at your girlfriend when you're not looking? Isn't it weird how that individual always seems to be around your wife when you're not around? What's the man going to start to think? But that individual must have a crush on my girlfriend or on my wife in that scenario. And it's this idea of planting a seed of something and letting it spread. A lot of things have happened that way. In fact, that's the exact form the devil used in Genesis 3. You won't surely die. You'll be like God. You'll know good and evil. God's trying to hold you back. And that seed was planted, and they allowed it to grow. And so many times in life, people will do the same. Then there's this idea of whispered innuendo. Whispered innuendo, which basically is this mindset of, it's interesting how he was out of town the night that crime was committed. Is it really? Or are you making something up because you want to gossip about it? Whispered innuendo. And then finally, you have this this got-this-all-wrong gossip. Got-this-all-wrong. You admit you're probably wrong, but you spread it anyway. For instance, I may not have this right, but... And then you proceed to tell what you don't even know if you've got right. How mad would you be if someone said, I may not have this right, but I heard J.C. JCPenney has marked everything down to a penny. And so you go to the store and you load up on a bunch of items and much to your chagrin, you get to the checkout and your total comes up to some thousands of dollars. You're going to just say, oh, well, they meant well. No, because then you have the hassle of putting everything back and walking out of the store with the purchases that you hope to make. You can't get them anymore. I may not have this right, but... And then you proceed or I proceed to talk about something we don't know. Why would we do that? I can see every one of these in the world today, can't you? Biblically speaking, we first look to the Old Testament and notice, as I mentioned a moment ago, that God, in Genesis 3, is a victim of gossip where the devil says, He's not going to kill you. Don't worry about him. God's really just trying to keep you from your full potential. Joseph, in Genesis 39, was a victim of very malicious gossip. You might remember studying that Potiphar's wife, and I find it interesting that the text only ever calls her Potiphar's wife in a possessive sense that she belonged to Potiphar and only to Potiphar. And even Joseph admitted that when he says in Genesis 39, everything in this house is mine but one thing, and it's you, his wife. So I'm not going to do this great wickedness and sin against God. You're not convincing me. But every day she tried to get him to commit adultery with her. And finally, one day, she grabbed him forcibly and said to lie with her. And he ran away. And in the process, she had a portion of his coat. And she gets the bright idea to say that Joseph tried to force himself on her. Who would you believe? one of the Egyptians' more esteemed women? Because you've got to understand something. Potiphar was a high-ranking member of the Egyptian nation, and according to history and other things, they got the best women. They got the prettiest women. They got the cream of the crop, so to speak. So if you had to choose between an Egyptian woman who is one of society's best, most upstanding citizens, and that slave that you all got... Who are you picking? As much as I think Joseph was absolutely wronged in this, can't you see how easy it was for him to be wronged? Because a very high powerful person spoke and it was her word against him. And the odds were stacked against him there. He didn't do it. Well, good luck convincing everybody else of that. Joseph was a victim of this. But I want you to go to 2 Samuel 15 for a moment. And I want you to notice how David was a victim of gossip. 2 Samuel chapter 15. And it, father's, it's Father's Day. So imagine this is your son. Okay? This is Absalom, David's son, his own son. And Absalom wants the throne. How bad did he want it? According to 2 Samuel 15 and verse 2, he would stand out at the gate that led into the city and wait on people to show up. And then he would begin to ask them, what do you need? And when they would tell it to him, he would give the impression that the king wouldn't hear their cause and didn't care about them. And Absalom would even go on to say, if only I could do something about this. If only I could help you. You know, my dad, he doesn't really want to help you. But if I could, I I would take care of you. Notice 2 Samuel 15 and verse 5. The result of this gossip caused the people to treat Absalom as a king, kissing his hand and bowing down to him. And in verse 6, so Absalom stole the hearts of men. So much so that at one point... They take him to Hebron, and he goes to David and asks, Can I go to Hebron? I want to pay the Lord a vow. However, when he arrived in Hebron, the people were told to cry, Absalom reigns in Hebron. And he tried to steal the throne. All because Absalom's gossip convinced people that David did not really care about his people. What happened to Absalom? If you don't know, it might have been a long time since you've studied Absalom, but if you don't know, he died. David didn't want him to die, but he died. Had Absalom had a mind that wasn't about gossiping about his daddy and trying to get what his dad already had, would Absalom have died the way that he did? No. Had Adam and Eve not listened to the lies that the devil was giving them, would they have partake of the fruit in the the Garden of Eden? No. Because the indication is right after the devil says all of this to Eve, then Eve saw that the tree was good for food, it was desirable to make one wise, and she took and ate after the temptation. And if the people would have believed Joseph, would he have been thrown in prison? See how gossip was very, very damaging in the Old Testament? But it also reared its ugly head in the New. Jesus was a victim of gossip. If you look in Matthew 16, Jesus asks His disciples in Matthew 16, 13, Who do men say that I am? What are people saying about me? And the disciples answered in verse 14 and said, Well, some say you're John the Baptist, or really it should say John the Baptizer. Some say you're Elijah, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But then Jesus asks, what do you think? In verse 15. And Peter gives that famous response, you're the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus realized that everyone had an opinion on who they thought Jesus was. But it didn't make them right. Well, I think he's Jeremiah. He wasn't. I think he's Elijah. He's not. I think he's John the Baptizer. Nope. Or one of the prophets. No, he's the Messiah. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And whether you think he's Jeremiah or not, it's not going to make him Jeremiah. It's just not going to do it. John was a victim of gossip in John 21, 20 20 through 30. While the apostles are trying to figure out which one would betray Jesus... Peter asks Jesus about John. What's going to happen to John? And Jesus replies, If I will that he remains till I come, what's that to you? Follow me. Now, I want you to notice that after Jesus says this, a rumor starts about John. And people began to say at the end of John twenty one twenty three that John would never die. John must be living for until Jesus comes back. Yet the latter part of verse 23 says, Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. But if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? I didn't say John wasn't ever going to die. I said if I decided that that was going to be the case, why is that any of your business? you remember the derogatory definition we gave? That gossip is something about people's private lives? And Jesus essentially says to Peter, why do you care about John's private life? What happens to him? You follow me. Leave John out of this. John, and then finally Paul, wasn't a victim of gossip. In Acts chapter 9, verses 19 through 25, after Saul was converted, he had a very difficult time being trusted in the early stages of Christianity. I understand why. Because when you study what he had done, no Christian wanted to trust him. Because what he had been doing before he became a Christian was persecuting the church, throwing them into prison, killing some of them, holding the coats of those that stoned Stephen. And according to to this chapter, people said about him while he was preaching on Jesus on one occasion... Isn't this the one who destroyed and called on his name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? You know what Paul's really doing? He's a double agent. That's essentially what they're saying. You know what Paul's really going to do? Paul's going to get our trust, and the moment we trust him, he's going to take us to the chief priests and he's going to put us all in prison or kill us. That's exactly what he's doing. Can you blame them for thinking that? I can't. Not with what Saul had been known for doing. This sounds exactly like the Saul that they'd known. But Barnabas stands up and vouches for him. By the way, according to Acts 9.25, 9 he had to be let down in a basket because the people were going to try to kill him. Imagine what our Bible would look like had that happened. When over half the New Testament, if you include the book of Hebrews... Was written by Paul. But Barnabas stands up for his defense. In verses 26 through 31. He stands up and puts a stop to the rumors. If it had not been for Barnabas. Paul may never have been accepted. May never have been. But someone was willing to say. I'm not going to allow gossip and rumors. To dictate how this man is treated. It's not going to happen. Probably the biggest question though tonight is can we stop? The first step to solving a problem is to first admit that there is one, right? If I'm unwilling to admit there's a problem in my life, that problem is going to stick around a little longer or a lot longer. Can we stop? We've got to ask ourselves anytime we hear something if what we have heard is true and certain. If what we have heard is true and certain. In Deuteronomy 13 and verse 14, and also chapter 17 and verse 4, the Bible says, Then you shall inquire, search out, and ask diligently. And if it is indeed true and certain that such an abomination was committed among you, wait a minute. When do you determine that the abomination was committed? After you have searched and made sure that it has occurred. That's when you do the next thing. And it is told to you, chapter 17. And you hear of it, then you shall inquire diligently. And if it is indeed certain and true that such an abomination has been committed in Israel, what is God saying? You don't do anything. You don't do a thing until you know that it's certain and that it's true. I hear all the time, on Facebook, or on social media, or even by people in passing. What are we going to do about such and such? How do you know such and such is even accurate? Well, did you hear what they said about so and so? Did you see the latest thing about Trump? Did you see the latest thing about Obama? Did you see the latest thing? Brethren, we could do this all day long. With every president since we've had media. Whether you like them or not, people have made up stories about them. Believe it. That's politicians. That's politics. What are we gonna do? Trump likes Diet Coke and McDonald's. Who cares? I don't care about his diet. I care about what he's gonna do for the country. And so I'm not gonna stress about something like that because I don't even know if it's true. And I don't care if it is. And so, so many things that you and I are going to hear in our lifetime, so many things that are going to be said to us, we need to have that mentality. Is it true? Is it certain? If we can't prove those, we have a third thing. Who cares? I'm not going to waste my time. I want you to remember Nehemiah for a minute. When Nehemiah was told by his two big enemies, we want you to come down to the plains of Ono, and we want to meet with you there. Nehemiah said, I'm not going down to the plains of Ono because I'm doing a good work where I'm at. And I'm going to focus on the work where I'm at. And so brethren, let me encourage you tonight. The only thing you should be concerned about is the Bybee Branch Church of Christ. That's it. And the community that surrounds it. Don't worry about the people that are up in New York or Idaho that might be false teachers unless they start to come down to this area and infiltrate. You be concerned with the body of Christ that meets here at Bybee Branch. And it will stop a lot of problems if the whole church would get with that program. Well, what are we going to do about this Christian school that's dealing with this or dealing with that? Are you a part of that Christian school? No. Then it's not really for you to decide. Focus where you're at. Stay where you're at. Make sure something's true and certain. Sure. If it affects you. So much of gossip is stuff that doesn't affect us, but we think it's juicy info, so we've got to spread it. Why? Why? Is my life really better for knowing that such and such might have happened? You ever played the game telephone? This is a game that I know youth groups have played in the past at lock ins or at youth retreats. It's this game where you sit everybody in a straight line, and somebody gives a phrase to the first person in that line. Here are the rules. You sit in a circle or stand in a straight line, you need to be close enough to whisper to the other person, but not so close that the other players can hear what you're whispering. To get the game started, you have this first person in the line whisper a word or phrase into the ear of the person sitting or standing to their right. Players whisper the phrase to their neighbors until it reaches the last player in line. Here's something that's not been included yet, though. You don't get to repeat the phrase. You get one shot. And you get to whisper it. So if you've ever seen this game played, it's quite comical. Because the phrase that started, which might have been, I like to go on, on a walk every Sunday afternoon, turns into, I like to eat burgers and milkshakes every Sunday afternoon. Where would we get that from? Because somebody during the game didn't hear what was said. And you know what they had to do? They had to do the best that they could to replicate what they think they heard. And I've hardly ever, if at all, been a part of a game that got the phrase correct at the very end. Few times that's happened, but it's very rare. What is that telling me? You might sit there and think, why does that matter? That's a children's game. This is why it matters. There is a difference between the phrase, I heard Derek is moving, right? And it might be true. Derek might be moving. But if I say to you, I heard Derek's moving, is that true? I might be asking if you have information on whether he's moving or not. But this type of phrase often turns into this. Derek is moving because he got kicked out. He and Samantha are having problems. How did we get there from this? Gossip. Somebody decided they were going to infer and add details and try to guess what's really going on. And so they infer and they add and then we get this. And Derek says, I'm not having problems with Samantha. I got a better job in another state. That's why we're moving. She's coming with me. What do you mean we're having problems? Let me tell you personally, I watched recently... As gossip tore apart a congregation and one of their deacons had to step down because of it. Because of gossip about him that wasn't true by his own brethren. And honestly, that is sickening. That anybody in the Lord's church could treat somebody that way is repulsive. And you know what it does to a congregation when that occurs? It makes every single person, when they find out that gossip was the reason, walk on eggshells. I don't know if I can trust anybody now. So I won't tell them anything. I don't know if I should say this to so and so because they might be the person. And you know what happens when the church can't trust each other? It doesn't grow. It dies. Because other people are going to come in and they're going to feed off of what you're giving out, what I'm giving out. They're going to know whether a church is a loving congregation or whether they can't stand each other and can't trust each other. And let me ask you honestly, if anybody walks in from the street into this congregation and they see a church that hates each other, why would you want them to be here? And why would they ever say, I want some of that? We want to be a part of a church Family. And families are not supposed to treat each other that way. Not good ones at least. Be careful what you hear and what you infer. Be careful what we enter, in, inject into the conversation and we say, this must be what's going on. Because, you know, they didn't ride home together that night. Well, there might be a reason for that too. And you can make up stuff till you're blue in the face, and all of it could be false. So we've got to be careful. How can we truly stop gossip as we close? I want to present to you the following things. All of these need to be employed by myself, by you, by this world. First, walk away. but i know that's really difficult at times because human human nature is we love drama why do reality television shows do so well they're scripted i hate to break that to you but they really are but people will watch shows that are depicted as reality tv because they love drama And the people that are making those shows do a great job of orchestrating and making things up to cause drama. You turn on one of those shows and in five minutes, if people aren't yelling at each other, something's wrong. They're not doing the show right, okay? Because that's really what reality TV is all about. And a lot of times, gossip starts this way. You'll never believe what I was told. And my mind, when I hear that is, bet you're wrong. So tell me, right? That's, that's what our minds go to. If I said, you'll never guess what happened at the game last night. The typical person who especially loves the sport is not going to go, see ya and walk away. They're going to say, tell me, what happened? The guy had a perfect game. Are you serious? Oh man, it, was, it came down to the last out, and the guy hit the ball, and this player made the diving catch at the wall to seal it. It was incredible. Man, that's awesome. Same thing is applied with gossip. You'll never believe what happened to Derek and Samantha. Tell me. Just walk away. The second one is going to be employed because when the first one happens, they're going to try to probably get you back. No, 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 come back, come on. I'm not gossiping. You refuse to listen. No, I don't want any part of that. That's Derek and Samantha's life. They've got their marriage. They need to deal with it on their own. I'm not going to mess with it. But then you notice a trend. This same person is often talking to you about people, not just Derek and Samantha. So you put a healthy distance from from them. Next, you tell them off in a Christian way. But you tell them, "I, I don't think what you're doing is right, and I don't think the Lord would be pleased with you doing this. I don't think you ought to be talking about them behind their back and finally this always works either forcibly say we're going to go talk to the person you're talking about or suggest it I guarantee you they'll stop talking one of my instructors Keith Mosier, said when he worked at a congregation he had a binder with a bunch of notebook paper in it and he had it on his desk and when anybody would come in and lodge a complaint about somebody He simply opened the binder and stuck out a pen for them. And every time he got the same response. What's that for? I'd just like for you to sign and and date and lodge the complaint that you're making so we can then go to this person and handle it. And that entire ministry that he had there, that notebook remained empty. You know why? Nobody wants to put their name to it. Gossip dies when it hits wise ears. It dies. And you know what? Anybody who will not employ any of the things we just mentioned is a coward. And sadly, the Lord's Church has a lot of them. People who won't walk away, who won't refuse, who won't distance themselves... Who won't? And all the while, we're sowing seeds of discord among each other. And we wonder why the church is hurting and in part why the church membership is declining. Is it not possible that this could be one of the reasons? It's possible. I can't say for certain because I don't have data to support it. But I can tell you, gossip hurts. And when people are hurt by it, I've seen it in the last two years, people move. People leave. And in some cases, if they're hurt that badly by the Lord's church, they say, I don't ever want to step foot in there again. Don't get into things that don't concern you. Studies have shown that men and women both are worthy of accusation when it comes to being involved in gossip. Men, women are not the only gossipers. I know that's how a lot of people depict it. Well, you know, those ladies, they just like to get together and gossip. We all know somebody who's male or female that if you want information to be spread, you just tell that one person, right? They'll make sure that it gets there for you. According to a study, men are 55% likely to gossip and women 67 That's not that big of a difference. It's only 12%. That's not that big of a difference. We're not that far off, and that's a sad statistic, That over half of both genders are inclined to gossip. And we wonder why we have problems in this world. Maybe it's because we've forgotten to love our neighbor as ourselves. I know when I've been the victim of gossip, I've not appreciated it. I don't think anybody appreciates it. But if I love my neighbor as I love myself, I won't gossip about him. Now, I do want to say as I close really quickly, there is a difference between speaking truth and gossiping. For instance, suppose Derek and Samantha, the people we've talked about for the few minutes here, suppose Derek was a known adulterer. You're not gossiping by telling people Derek cheated on his wife. You're not. But if you can't prove it, remember, if you can't prove it, you best not say it. If I can't prove it, I best not talk about it. There are so many things I don't understand. I don't know what happens behind closed doors among your elders. I'm not an elder here. Therefore, I'm not privy to those conversations. I don't even know what happens behind a closed elders meeting at my own congregation. And let me tell you, I'm thankful. But since I don't know, you know what the wonderful thing is about that? When someone comes to me and says, why are we doing this such and such a way? You know, I I really don't know. The elders are the ones that made that decision. You might want to talk to them. Oh, well, okay. And then they go sit down and nothing's ever said. Let them do their job. Worry about each other. Treat each other like we want to be treated. And if it can't be proven, if it's not factual, then you can't talk about it. You may be able to speculate in private to your spouse and say, I hope such and such isn't true. What would we do if it is? I understand those types of conversations. I don't believe they're sinful so long as they stay between a husband and wife. We've got to be so careful, so cautious, because this sin is slowly creeping into the church And getting its roots deeply planted. And it's destroying congregations. Don't let it destroy this one. I don't think that it will. I hope I'm not wrong. If we allow it someday to. What will be said if someone drives by the building one day and says. Who used to meet there? Oh, well the Bible branch congregate. And you know what happened? They hated each other so much they finally just separated. Some of them go over to central, some of them go over here, some of them go here. Yeah, they they dissolved because they couldn't get along with each other. Because of things that were said. Don't let that be the case. When you hear gossip, run. Perhaps you're here and you're not a child of God and you desire to become one. You can do that by hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized. Perhaps you've done that, but you've wandered away. Maybe you're struggling with gossip. You can do exactly what Simon the sorcerer did, repent and pray, Acts 8. Whatever need you have, won't you please come as together we stand and sing.